BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is the Pulse of St. Louis. Hello and welcome to the Pulse of St. Louis. I'm Mike Colombo in this week for Shirley Washington. Today we're discussing how the St. Louis region's agriculture and infrastructure can help feed the world. And to help us explain how that's possible, let me introduce you to our guests. Mary Lamy is Bi-State Development's Executive Vice President, Multimodal Enterprises. And in honor of full disclosure, we should note that she is the wife of Fox 2 and KPLR 11 Managing Editor, Joe Lamy. To Mary's right is Janet Wilding. She is Vice President of 39 North and Major Projects at St. Louis Economic Development Partnership. And to her right is Sean Mullins. He is the Director of Foreign Direct Investment at the World Trade Center, St. Louis. We thank you all for being here. All right, Mary, we're going to start with you. Explain the partnership behind St. Louis Regional Freightway, 39 North, and World Trade Center, St. Louis, to address global food security concerns. Thanks, Mike, for the opportunity to be uh, part of your program. Uh, so our office is partnering with the World Trade Center and 39 North. Um, our efforts are focusing on leading the efforts to take on global food scarcity. Uh, the world population is anticipated to grow by 25%. Uh, populations could actually exceed 10 billion over the next three decades, leading to the role that we have as far as finding ways to be more efficient with uh, agricultural production and transportation. For our region, we have three primary roles, agricultural research. Uh, for the St. Louis region, we have over 1,000 plant and animal science PhDs. We actually have the highest concentration anywhere in the world. Um, our role also focuses on production. Um, we are within a 500-mile radius of 50% of all crop and livestock production in the United States. And from a transportation perspective, it doesn't get much better. Most strategic location on the Mississippi River. In fact, we've got the highest capacity of moving agricultural uh, products anywhere on the Mississippi River, and it's right in front of the Gateway Arch. And we are going to dig into that a bit more in a moment here, but I want to move on to Janet mm -hmm. because we're talking about the larger picture here of ag tech. Simply put, what is ag tech for starters? Right, so ag tech is, is kind of a, a, a term of art in a sense, a shortcut to talk about agriculture as we know it, traditional agriculture, growing, producing food and commodity. But it's all, in the 21st century, it's all of the other ancillary industries that support and really further agriculture either on you know the technology side of, of seeds or uh, technology used to help the farmer um, use less inputs and sort of do a more efficient job of growing food and helping um, their operations to be more sustainable. So it's really it's really a whole conglomerate of industries and it's it's quite large actually so we kind of shorten it as ag tech or agritech. All right, so yeah. we've gotten that out of the way. Yeah. Now let's talk yeah. a little bit how <laughs> this partnership is uniquely positioned really to advance the region's global leadership in addressing global food security. Right, so um, as, uh, as Mary was saying, it's an important partnership because 
as economic developers in St. Louis, we're constantly looking for where are our strengths, both nationally and globally, that we can really showcase St. Louis as a leader in agriculture, ag tech, commodity movement, freightways, as Mary's involved with, um, Sean uh, working on the global aspect of this. That's something that St. Louis can really claim and can really market itself as because we already are such a global strength in um, agriculture and ag tech. All right, Sean, on to you now. Explain, if you would, please, the role that World Trade Center St. Louis plays in connecting the region's agricultural strengths to the outside world. So um, uh, talent worldwide, entrepreneurs and technology and companies have places and, and decisions to make about where they want to go to grow their technology. Um, there is a, a competition out there with uh, Europeans, with China, with, with Russia, all over the place where um, talent is being recruited and wooed to go to their, to their countries or their cities specifically. And we want St. Louis to be the, the global center for ag tech. So we want to reach out to our counterparts, our economic development counterparts in other markets, uh, make ourselves available to the talent that is there, explain what is that we have to offer, that we are a, a center of excellence and competency, that we have a, a network of effect that goes on here with, with uh, 1,000 PhDs that Mary uh, referenced in that we are a, a natural place for them to grow their ideas and grow their talent. Mary, let's talk a little bit more about some of those numbers you shared with us earlier. 50% of U.S. crops and livestock produced within a 500-mile radius of the St. Louis region, including approximately 80% of corn and soybean acreage. So tell us how that led to our region's distinction as the ag coast of America. Well, a majority of, of those products are being exported out of the United States. And the majority of those are actually exported and transported along the Mississippi River. The St. Louis region is considered a hub for, for transporting those products. Um, for the St. Louis area, we are actually the most strategic location on the Mississippi River. We are ice-free and lock-free to and from the Gulf of Mexico. So what that means is for the barge industry, those are the cheapest rates. And so from a transportation perspective, shippers want to maximize those cheaper rates. We have what you mentioned, locks and dams, mm -hmm. that big river mm -hmm. playing a huge role in all of this. There's also the railway perspective. There's also some of the huge cities that we have along this river with big airports and equally good transportation as far as the railway is concerned. Um, how do we continue to kind of focus on these strengths and build these partnerships to make this continue to be and even grow as far as the Ag Coast is concerned? So part of it is we just have that geographic advantage, the, the fact where we are centrally located on the Mississippi River. But the other advantage is the fact that we have six class one railroads, four interstates, and we continue to invest in our infrastructure. So it gives shippers the, the flexibility to move product from one mode to the other, depending on what's going on in the global market as far as fuel prices. If fuel prices go up, shippers can instantly move it to rail. If fuel prices go down, they can ship it to truck. But with the infrastructure we have, it makes it very easy for them to switch from one mode to the other. And Janet, to get back onto the technology side of things, the way that companies, farmers, partnerships, whatever the case may be, can use some of those transportation highlights we talked about. What are some examples of the innovation that's coming out of this Ag Center that could dramatically increase food production to meet future needs? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and like Mary said, it's kind of the big question that drives all of our work. And our some of our main stakeholders in 39 North are the Danforth Plant Science Center, 
Bears headquarters in Crevecore, Bridge Park, which is a commercialization center for new companies, the Helix Center, which is an incubator for companies getting into plant tech. And I think that the thread that kind of pulls it all together is that um, these are companies that are going to make the difference on the plant productivity side. Are we able to feed all of these people globally? And most of their work is global in nature in terms of the types of plants that they're studying. And so it's so important that we are bringing together academics, researchers, the, the business community, getting best practices internationally and locally to really understand how to really solve this global food issue that we're all going to be faced with um, by 2050. So it's, um, it really has to be a holistic approach and that's what 39 North is about. We want to have the technology side. We also want to be speaking directly to the farmers and understanding what their needs are. And um, we, want to, we want to bring young people into the conversation because it's an industry that is, has a big mission to it. And I think that um, we want to make sure young people who are looking for a mission-based career are really getting interested in agriculture. Sean, that scary thought about 2050 and food scarcity might not resonate with people in 2019 because it's real easy to just go to the grocery store or drive through somewhere and pick up food. How are you trying to change the game as far as some of the people and groups that you work with in your role to really take that responsibility on now and to really drive home that understanding because it seems like a far away away but 2050 really isn't in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I think the incremental approach is a great question. I think the incremental approach is, is what we look at. So we take a look at the assets that we have in the region. So what Mary's been working on with Ag Coast, with 39 North, the Ag Innovation District. And we tried to sort of do a drip, 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 that messaging out both uh, domestic here, when I say domestic, St. Louis market, as well as international markets. We talk to schools, we go to give presentations, um, and we, we uh, provide the information about what to expect um, in, in, in the coming future. We're not saying that there's going to be famine and drought and all those things. Climate change is something that we're concerned with. But we think that giving people sort of this steady drumbeat of, of knowledge a little bit at a time so that they can sort of know what we're doing and why we're doing it, that it becomes sort of habituated and they realize that there's the virtue behind this is we're trying to feed ourselves, we're trying to feed the world, and we're trying to establish St. Louis. As, as the center for making this happen. And if you would, please tell us a little bit about this delegation that's planning to come in February. I know that's kind of still in the infancy or the planning stages, but it's actually part two of something that took place earlier. Yeah, so um, uh, we, uh, the World Trade Center led a delegation to the Netherlands and to the United Kingdom at the beginning of this year. While we were in the United Kingdom, we met with an organization called Agritech East. And they are an ag tech focused group that uh, is linked to Cambridge University. Uh, some of the smartest minds in, in the United Kingdom with respect to um, uh, agriculture are part of this group. And uh, it was expressed to us that they'd like to visit St. Louis and see our assets, what it is that we have to offer, get involved in our networks, and get to know uh, how, we, how we do ag tech business. And so in February of next year, we will be hosting anywhere from five to 10 or so um, uh, uh, of the best uh, ag tech oriented startups and entrepreneurs and, and small companies that are looking for places to grow their technology. So uh, just to be careful, we're not trying to take them away from the United Kingdom. We're trying to offer them an additional location for them to consider to grow their company. And so we think St. Louis is the best place for them to do that. 
We hear so much about what's happening on the coasts, but this discussion today definitely showing everyone how important and useful and innovative and cutting edge everything is right here in the middle of America. Mary, Janet, Sean, thank you so much for your time here. Thank, thank you. you. Coming up on the Pulse of St. Louis, we'll explore something so many of us struggle with, weight loss. Ahead, stories of transformation and the man helping people lose weight and change their lives by changing their mindset. We'll be right back. To hear more, listen to the podcast. Just search for The Pulse of St. Louis. Welcome back to The Pulse of St. Louis. Again, I'm Mike Colombo in for Shirley Washington this week. We're going to change gears now. The holiday season is upon us, and we know that with the cheer, there can also be stress and struggles. Turning to food to handle those hardships is a dangerous way to cope. That's why our next guests are so important. They have all worked incredibly hard to not only lose weight, but also change their mindsets when it comes to food and exercise. The man behind it all, weight loss, life, and transformation coach Charles D'Angelo is here. He lost 160 pounds as a teen and has coached people in their journeys ever since. Yes. Brian Fraley lost 160 pounds. Yes. He was on the show last year and a year later, still fit and healthy. Great to see it. Next to him, we have John Dydle. He lost 90 pounds. He has worked with Charles to untangle the relationship that he developed with food and get back to where he deserved to be. Great to see that you're continuing that success. Thank you. And Margot Ryder, who is with us today, she's lost 120 pounds with Charles' help. She's getting ready to undergo a big life transformation as well. We're going to talk about that in a bit. We thank you all for being here. First off, Charles, I want to start with you. There is a lot of hard work behind these results here. Every person has a different challenge. Every person has different triggers. What is it about your method that you're able to individualize things so that different people can find different successes? Well, I think part of it is that while each of us may be personally unique, there are only so many patterns in our behavior. So many people come to transformation thinking they need to try a different diet or get a new gym membership or start some pill or magic elixir. And I think if those things were the answer, you wouldn't see dietitians, nutritionists, doctors in my office. It's not something outside of yourself that really needs to be addressed so much as much as what needs to be addressed within. That is, disconnecting from being spontaneous with your habits with regard to the use of substance. In my clients' cases, most of them, it's the substance of food. No longer looking outside of yourself for the answer, but disconnecting from spontaneity, replacing that with fundamentally sound, healthful practices day after day, week after week, and developing trust in yourself so when challenges do come up, like you said, there are lots of triggers, but the winds of life that blow on you, Mike, blow on me, blow on Brian, blow on John, blow on Margot, all of us face adversity and difficulties. So it's not so much what's happening to us, it's learning to take responsibility, no longer feeling like we're the victim to life, but taking our power back and by doing so, starting to make different choices in the faces of the things that happen to us. All right. We're going to get into some of the individual stories here. And Brian, we'll start with you. 160 pounds. That's right. Yeah. That's an incredible accomplishment. It's been tremendous, yes. What were some of the things that Charles really helped you with that allowed you to have this success? He helped me establish discipline with the structure of his plan. That's what I needed. I needed the, the accountability of meeting with him every other week. Um, those were the, the big things. If I, if I were to let it go on myself, I, I, I don't know that I would have been able to maintain the structure. I can now, but back when I started with him, I think that was what my issue was. You know? So the, the plan that he has itself is simple. 
You know, it's the, the, the willpower, the discipline, and the dedication. That's the hard part for me. Working through the stories, working through self-deception. I mean, how easy is it for any of us to say, we'll do it tomorrow? Exactly. How easy is it for us to say, this doesn't matter? So the real hard work, <laughs> I'm kind of a polarizing individual because I have to tell my clients what they need to hear, even if it's not what they want to hear, which means sometimes when we look truth in the face, we see parts of ourselves we'd rather not look at. But if we continue on that path, thinking that the impact of our choices today will have no consequence, you're going to get to a point in your life where you never intended to be. And that's usually when people reach out, when they're in that critical point where they feel like there's no hope and we've got to get them recentered. And by some fundamental good disciplines, they're able to reclaim their health and their habits. Exactly. John, you were in a difficult position. Yeah. You were dealing with some personal issues, some personal family matters that put you on a difficult path. And Charles helped you not only work through those things, but work on those things and how they intertwine with food and coping mechanisms. Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. Um, I was going through a grieving process. Um, I had always been a person that felt like I could get my arms around weight loss, always done a relatively good job at it. And admitting that I just couldn't do it this time, that was difficult. But Charles really helped me get into that actual reason. Why are you doing what you're doing? And it's okay to put yourself first. It's okay to love yourself enough to make these changes. And with that kind of open relationship, that, that, that kind of understanding, we built a really good foundation to start this project together. We could trust each other no matter what. And it has really, the DNA sets, the, the, the mindset sets into your DNA fast. Like within six weeks, uh, it was like, I don't need that piece of cheese or I don't, I don't need to, you know. It, it's really amazing. And then when you start getting results, which is also about the four week point, you get results. You're like, wow, yeah, this, this stuff really works. I can do this, you know. Uh, and and you, you're also, especially staying with Charles for as long as I did, was you get down 30, 40 pounds, think, oh, this piece of cake, I can do this no matter what. No, that's, <laughs> that's not the case. <laughs> Margo, tell us more about your journey. From a weight loss perspective, you're at 120 pounds. Mm -hmm. And where these guys have maybe spent a little bit more time with Charles, is it safe to say that you're kind of relatively new in your journey as a client? Oh, of course. Um, I would definitely not be where I am today if I hadn't started with Charles a year ago. I would probably be close to 400 pounds by now if I had continued on the way that I was going. I was definitely headed towards a path to destruction for myself. And if you don't mind answering a tough question like this, what were some of the trigger triggers for you? Some of the triggers for me, well, stress is definitely one of them. It still is, but I don't turn to food anymore to cope with my stress. It's like I have to talk through all of my problems now. I have to, you know, if something's bothering me, I have to tell somebody that it's bothering me. It can't just be like, okay, I'm going to go eat a piece of cake. Um, yeah. What is it about food, Charles? Why do so many of us, myself included, find food as this avenue for security or truly false security? Well, I think it comes down to philosophy. It's, it's forgetting that the small decisions that you're engaging in today are going to have a consequence. And so you could put in place of food alcohol. You could put in place of alcohol a harder drug. You could put in place of a harder drug an addiction to work, an addiction to anything that 
isn't an investment in your future in the sense of who you are holistically. So when you find that you're engaging in something that you can never get enough of, it's a clear indication that your ladder is leaning up against the wrong tree. And so you've got to ask yourself, is what I'm doing right now taking me closer to the aim I have for how I want my life to look? And furthermore, have I even thought about the direction I'm headed? So many people that I work with are achievers. I have people that are multi-billionaires, and that's not an exaggeration, but they don't feel fulfilled. And it's because they're not really thinking about the idea that achievement isn't going to bring them the sense of connection or meaning that life is all about. And a substance like food certainly isn't going to. It can certainly change your state in the moment. But what I work with my clients on is learning how to change your state, change the way that you feel by looking at life and discovering a new meaning in the face of the things that are challenging you. Like in John's case, uh, John shared this so I can say it, uh, John was grieving the loss of his son to suicide. His son was a psychiatric resident, right John? Yeah, was accepted. Uh, was accepted and getting ready to start a program and had taken his own life, which was a shock to the entire family. And so in the face of the type of malevolence that life can often posit when we lose someone, or when you go through a divorce, or when you lose your job, often you're looking for something to grab onto. And unless you have a good relationship with yourself, you're gonna find yourself going from one thing to the next. And so the key is turning to yourself by disconnecting from all these extraneous things and beginning to do the hard work of really developing the muscle of discipline and the persistence to be flexible in your approach until you get to a place where you feel good about not only where you are, but who you are. The work is not about weight loss. I help people, obviously. I'm known for the physical transformations, but I'm not a dietitian, I'm not a nutritionist. That, the, the physical transformation is a dividend. It is a byproduct of putting yourself first. And here's the paradox. When I work with parents, notably, they'll often be caught in the philosophy of thinking that by working out or exercising every day, by making good choices, they're somehow putting their children or their significant other second. And that can't be further from the truth because the reality is when you're making an investment in yourself, when you feel good about yourself, for example, you here, if you're working 16 hours a day, I don't know if you're married or not, but if you're in a relationship, let me tell you something, that's gonna have a definite negative impact. You've gotta ask yourself, is what I'm doing really contributing to the person I wanna be? Not about how I look, yes, looking great, feeling great, that's all wonderful and fine. But I know a lot of people that could be on the cover of a magazine who are miserable. Sure. That's not what you wanna chase. You wanna have the right aim. So sitting down with someone who's been there, I was 160 pounds overweight, 360 pounds. Mm. So I know what it's like to be stuck in a place you hate, and more importantly, I know how to get out of it. All right, that is excellent. I wanna pause right there. We're gonna take a brief commercial break, and when we come back, I want to focus on a word that Charles used, persistence. We're going to talk with each of our guests about the challenge of persistence when it comes to achieving their goals. The Pulse of St. Louis will be right back. And before we leave you on this episode of The Pulse, I want to speak with each of our guests about persistence. And Margot, I'll start with you because persistence is such an important part of the program that Charles puts forth. Uh, what would be your word to those watching about persistence and how it worked for you? It's a lot of hard work, persistence, 
it's the getting up every morning to go and exercise. I get up at four o'clock every morning, and I know that's not for everybody to do. <laughs> I definitely know. It's like my mom really tried to stay with me, and she could not stay with me. And she dropped out maybe like a month and a half into where I was going, and she hasn't been back to the gym yet. Hopefully she can get back on the horse. Yeah. She wasn't one of my clients. I have to say. <laughs> yeah, right. And kudos to you for sticking with it when that support system did. Yeah. yeah. All right, John. Uh, really, it's it's kind of a bit been funny for me. Um, like I said earlier, once you get into the mindset, you get up at four in the morning. I get up at six, and when you know why you're doing it and you're seeing results, it's really not that hard. Uh, food. At, you know, at different times, oh, you, everyone around you, oh, you can have this, oh, you can have, you can, you can cheat a little bit. I don't want to. It doesn't appeal to me. Yeah. I'll cut you off there. I'm no, sorry. With less than a minute here, Brian, okay. please. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with Margo. You know, when, when the alarm goes off in the morning, you have to be consistent every day. You know, you, how you do one thing is how you do everything. Mm -hmm. So if I were to hit snooze and roll over and go back to sleep, What's the next thing I'm going to back out on? You know, I, I have to be consistent with myself in order to make it happen. Ten seconds, Charles. Persistence. I just echo what each of these clients say, that it's possible for you to change your life if you're ready to take responsibility for making the changes in the micro-disciplines day after day, week after week. This isn't some big change you have to make, just a lot of small ones consistently. All right. Thank you to Charles and all of our guests, and thank you for watching The Pulse of St. Louis. We'll see you back here next week.